2: Dan, how do you use your difference to make a difference?
1: I don't really feel that I'm different. But Mm. the difference that I feel that, that I can make has to do with tapping into the energy of the world around us, the individuals, the people that have the ability to help others combine and help others irrespective of politics or religion. I think that's our big challenge right now. Mm -hmm. If we can can pull people together, um, separate from politics, I think we'll find that our species will do far greater.
2: How you day, how you day, that was the voice of Dan. And Dan's story is really about mental health. Why we need to make it a mainstay in our culture. And he focuses a lot on veterans the lives of people who fight for the United States and how we create a safe space for them when they come back home. As you hear in the story, there were several paths that his life took and there were several paths that his life could have taken, if not for him getting a hold of his mental health. So I really encourage you all to listen to this episode with all your loved ones. I truly believe that this is something that each and every one of us needs to monitor needs to nurture and needs to grow, you know, whether it's with a therapist, whether it's with your loved one, and whether it's with your just friends and family. This is one of those conversations that we don't have enough. We don't normalize enough, and we have too many stigmas around. And in addition to these stigmas, we don't create enough safe spaces and surround people with the resources to ensure that their mental health is the highest priority. So I hope you listen to the episode. I hope you share the episode, and I hope you engage with his platforms, which will be in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today, I have with me an amazing gentleman by the name of Dan Gator. he's the founder and president of Operation Vet Fit, and he has quite an interesting story. The organization's tagline is Zero Suicides, through free mental health services, research, camaraderie-based events, and advocacy. So I want to just give you a grand welcome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dan.
1: And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And and just to give me this platform to kind of spread what we found over the last decade and get it out there to the general public. It's been really hard because a lot of what we found goes against the narrative and the social paradigm that has been established about suicide, about a... Um, You know, especially veteran suicide, about it being more of a component of moral trauma and combat injury and coming back from these places and seeing things and not really knowing how to process it and then taking your life because of it. Well, we found out that most of that is not what has happened. Hmm. And when we start to dig into what happened by using data sets that go back to the 70s, covering all four armed forces branches, well, the four at that time. Uh, covering all 50 states and over 55 million data sets. You want to know what's most highly associated with veteran suicide and also carries over into the civilian population? I do. Both the suicide rates are more associated with a veteran's discharge status, educational attainment, and whether or not they have any college. Well, a college and education, right? Yeah. The- issue of deployment in combat has been shown study after study to be negatively correlated to suicides so it's not combat causing people to want to commit suicide because of ptsd so what is it right when did it start to spike it started to it was going down between 2000 and 2006 2007 we've been at war what happened in 2008, Tao?
2: That was, that was the uh, economic, uh, economic recession. collapse. Yes, economic, economic collapse, collapse, yes.
1: So the economic collapse we've seen is more associated with the higher prevalence of suicides, veteran and civilian, than anything else. Why? Why, right? And that's what we started asking ourselves. So it's, tw- it's 2012. My wife and I own a private fitness studio. Uh, I'm a combat vet. I served in Bosnia, Somalia, and Haiti. I was in the Marine Corps from 1992 to 1996. And I've always had a passion for fitness. I've always felt the relationship between fitness and mental health before I knew better. So we started giving out keys to our gym to area combat vets. Just just giving them to them. 24-hour fitness facility. Use it. Exercise helps. We got you. That evolved into what we are today, which is a mental health agency. I went back to school, got my clinical licensure, did my thousands of hours of supervised um, clinical uh, sessions and now we're a mental health agency. But what we did is we asked ourselves, why is this happening? Why are veterans killing themselves? And then I started to dig into it. Like, well, wait a minute. I'm a combat vet. I have PTSD. I don't have ideations of suicide. What is that? Well, it Hmm. happens to be that. um, Well, I do have PTSD. Been diagnosed for, with PTSD, and it, it greatly impacted my life. And I had denied it existed, not because of any stigma or anything, but because it wasn't impacting my life in a way that was taking me out. Um, but getting back, getting back to what we realized was causing the crisis: veterans were going to combat, marine soldiers, sailors, going service members going into combat. They're coming back some of them, a quarter of them with uh, post-traumatic stress, a quarter of them. Now remember that's 25%. We're gonna talk about the other 75% who are doing really good here shortly. But what what does this 25% represent? It represents primarily veterans who Did not finish four years because they may have come home from combat with PTSD, with the behavioral manifestations, got in trouble, used drugs, got discharged, no longer have an honorable discharge status, meaning that they no longer have the access to educational, mental health, medical, or financial resources that most veterans get with an honorable discharge. Why is that important? Because it ties into everything, right? You get out, veterans miss the military. Why do they miss the military? Not because of the bull. But because of the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the love, the sense of commitment and trust of one another. then they get out. They don't have that. They get kicked out. And not only do they not have that, but then they have the stigma that goes with being a, a piece of crap that got kicked out of the armed forces. But he served two tours in Iraq. So what happened? Where's the breakdown? So it goes back into this issue of the U.S. economy and what happened in 2008? And a lot of people have not put this together yet. So in 2008, when the suicide started going up, what else was happening? We had an economic collapse. Well, how does that affect the military? How does that affect suicides? Well, with the economic collapse came this forced downsizing. Do you remember the, uh, what was the term they used? Sequestration?
2: Oh, wow. That is that. Take uh, me back. Yeah
1: yeah So i I want you to take sequestration and put it up there in the cloud of holy cow this caused the suicide crisis because that led to um manpower reduction across all the branches but we still had to do the same job better yet we had to do two combat theaters and be the world's police force while reducing our sizes Mm
0: -hmm. so what does that
1: do that puts downward pressure on the troops downward pressure on the command now you have all these these combat vets that are coming back from combat, trying to get back to normal, um, in this environment where now there isn't a normal, if you will, because what they were used to doing in the fleet as a, let's just say as a Marine is now changing because the sequestration cuts are leading to more pressure on each individual because now more individuals have to do the work of less people. Mm-hmm huge morale and motivation impacts and and nobody wants to talk about it. Why? Because greed is accepted in society and victimization is exalted.
2: Yeah. Wow. So you're saying a lot here because for those that are listening, we, we had a very beautiful conversation before we hit record. You had said something to the effect of Western medicine, doesn't always uh, actually focuses on the symptoms as opposed to the cause. And I'm listening to you here, and it seems like the way we've approached mental health, specifically when it refers to veterans, is we've just been reacting on symptoms and not approaching the cause. You brought up a, a series of things. You said there's a correlation with the education level, the economy status, and then there's also this concept of having access to services, and then you, you, you discharge someone you take away the access to a brotherhood or camaraderie there or sisterhood that they might've had. So they feel rejected, but the sense of identity they've been building throughout all this process, all of a sudden is something they have to come to terms with without actually any support while there's a pressure to perform. And so what does that do to the mind when you're dealing with the economic woes, the lack of education based on what society is telling you that you need to have so that you can actually be economically viable and then you still have no access for you to actually grow in that area. That takes a lot.
1: It sure does, it sure does. And you know, I've gone through um, almost being bankrupt, losing our home to foreclosure, being homeless, living in the back of our gym in a closet with my family kind of been through that whole thing. And I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be poor. I know what it feels like to be without a home, to lose a home that you built with your family when you were 16 and you're the one who loses it. So I know how these compounding stresses impact our mental health. With the suicide crisis, when we do our mental health intake, we're measuring anxiety, depression, PTSD symptoms, but we're also doing a biopsychosocial assessment to find out the childhood. What happened when they were a kid what happened between their parents these things compound there is something out there right now that you can everyone can look up in the public sphere it's called the adverse childhood experiences study the aces study and it's an ongoing longitudinal study that talks about how the how things that happen during our attachment period between the ages of you know one to three or even 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 while in utero up until three years old with how we're loved and held and looked at and gazed at how they impact our mental health moving on through life, whether we're abused, neglected, in all the different forms. And it has this longitudinal chart to show the manifestations of behavioral outcomes as a result of these adverse childhood experiences. Who joins the military, Tayo?
2: I mean, they advertised it pretty early, so pretty young, the youth, the kids,
1: teenagers. Two primary groups that joined the military. My group, Uncle Sam's misguided children, who had no future, no prospect for college. Um, I was smoking weed. A matter of fact, I did two. That's my that's my claim to fame. I woke up, did two bong hits, hopped on my motorcycle, went down to the recruiter's office and signed up for the Marine Corps. Got a drug waiver, got my criminal record expunged and it changed the trajectory of my life Mm. for the better. It afforded Mm. me college, which I never would have had. It afforded me an opportunity to see places and go things and experience friendships, passions, pain, sadness, love, pleasure, everything. And all of that is a component of what builds us as human beings. We can't deprive ourselves of the good and the bad. Otherwise we'll have no understanding of the two.
2: Right, right.
1: Right. Hardship breeds resilience. We gotta have it. And we got to be able to process it through our mind, our thoughts, our feelings, and expression. And a lot of these guys that are getting out, that have been kicked out, that represent the highest proportion of people killing themselves, are lacking all that.
2: You you said kicked out a few times now. So do do you find that the suicide rate rises with you know rises more people in in the in the uh, military that get kicked out versus people who voluntarily? Leave. It's
1: ex- it's exponential so people that are discharged with the bad conduct um what's called bad paper discharge or administrative right. discharge, they're the ones who have the exponentially higher rate of suicide let me see i have a chart here um that we did and this is the one that blew our mind when we started to pull together the data
2: um, huh. that so- that's so fascinating no I, as you're looking for it because then the next question that i have for that is so for the people that are kicked out, what do we need to do to make sure that they don't feel like they're society's outcast, if you will?
1: So, there's a couple things. One, if we're learning that lower education rates and uh, lack of education and poor discharge status are associated with the highest rates of suicide, we need to address them at their root cause, right? Education.
2: Right. Education. Right. Um, education.
1: So Uh we all know how important that is, and we all know how much of a debate it is in society with regard to do we throw more money at education to make it better, or do we improve education by making education better?
2: Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Or do you make it free or more accessible and supplement? You know, it's like all these debates, and sometimes people wonder the people that need the education more, you're not providing them or setting them up for success because you're making them feel like they have to pay or be bankrupt, essentially. Uh, for that, and it's like this whole cycle where a lot of people who get educated end up being really, really broke or in debt for the rest of their life. But they need the education because society's saying they will not hire you if you don't get the education.
1: (laughs) And that's kind of the the double edged sword we're living with right now. And I think we're actually starting to possibly we're getting off topic here, but swinging the pendulum to a point where everyone's starting to debate and question the value of college education. Yes. or many of the college degrees that are just they're just money factories that require a no job or no opportunity afterwards. So that's mm-hmm. a whole other Yeah, hey, that,
2: well- that's that's another podcast. But but it it, it is related in in a, in the sense that sometimes I think what you're doing is so great with the operations of effort. And I, I definitely am curious as to what led to that start. Uh but That idea that you identified services that people need—you specific services—you know you have a fitness component, you have a mental health component, you have research. But the thing is, you have free in front of mental health services here, and that's that's why I wanted to go back to that. How did you identify that the freeness of offering mental health services is a way to reduce suicide rates amongst veterans?
1: Great question, because two-thirds of veterans' suicides occurred by those that have never been to the VA. Sixty-six
2: percent mm. of veteran
1: suicides. Wow. And, and the veterans huh. that do use the VA for mental health care services are disgusted by it. Now, it's different in every state because every state funds and manages their state VAs differently, even though they're federally funded. People don't realize that. Each state's VA is its own bureaucracy. Yeah. So we have states that will roll out the red carpet for veterans, like vocational rehabilitation and, uh, and employment used to be a program that veterans can go and utilize for getting a college degree. Disabled veterans, instead of using their GI bill, they can use this voc rehab program. This voc rehab program gives them books, tuition, fees, and a monthly stipend. Some states roll the red carpet out and say, yeah, go for it. We support you. Other states that we've had to fight, like my home state here in South Carolina now, will try to put up a wall, force veterans to go to a job bank, a state-funded job bank, to get a dead-end job, even if the veteran has applied, been accepted, Mm. needs to just finish his degree. So it's the variation from state to state is so huge. And we have had to fight against some state VAs. We have been gone after. We have been retaliated against uh, by by some regional VAs. And we've won. Um, You know, the the beauty about having no secrets or no lies is there's nothing to remember. You just continue to carry forward. You don't have to backstep and forget something or remember something. That's the beauty of
2: it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can only imagine the retaliation for sure. But sheesh. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: They... uh, they went after all of it one time. We exposed what was happening down here in South Carolina, the VA's regional. And this is another reason why veterans' uh, uh, suicide rates are, are so high for those that use the VA because of the frustration with the process. Um, there are many, many good people in the VA. But as you know, in any crowd, you throw together 100,000 people, you're going to have 10,000 that might not be so favorable. Um, yeah. And they might not be just generally good people. So you look yeah. at the size of the VA, it's a huge bureaucracy and the people at the front door, many times they have this sense of authority that is misplaced and they forget that they're there to provide a service for those who are protecting and defending us, not to harass those that are protected and defending us from getting our services. See what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, no, I certainly see. You, we, it we, doesn't we, happen everywhere. No, <laughs> I, I can only imagine because... I mean, this is this is going to take a lot of unseeding. You have to just change certain systems and certain mindsets. Um, and people get used to a certain way of thinking, whether it's for profit or just this is just human nature in that sense. I, I want to get to you because you identified, you figured out something after your tours that you needed to really solve. A lot of people in this podcast or who listen to this podcast, they are aspiring changemakers or established changemakers. They identify a problem and then they start creating an architecture around solving that problem. I wonder if you could walk the audience down as to what you did when you identified the problem and how you ended up building the whole business around that.
1: That's a great question, man. I love talking about this. So like I said, it was 2012. My wife and I owned our gym. The Department of Defense DOD 22 a day study became a buzzword. Everything was 22 a day, 22 a day, 22 a day. So I started to research what the hell is happening. Why is this happening? And at the same time, we were going through some hardships of our own. So I started to go to the Danbury Connecticut Vet Center. That's where I lived at the time and worked with a Dr. Thomas Quinn, who was fantastic. I think he saved my life. I think he saved our marriage. I think he's provided my children with a much better father. Uh, This was, we're going back to 2011, 2012, 2013. And I said, hey, you know, Tom, I'm going to start giving our combat vets gym keys because, you know, man, I don't don't know what's going on with these guys or why they're killing themselves. But, you know, exercise has always helped me. He goes, Dan, I think that's a great idea. So as this evolved, you know, I'm going to counseling. I'm getting counseling. I'm thinking I'm going to, and I already have a master's degree in organizational leadership and an undergraduate degree in psychology. So I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to counsel these guys. We're going to figure this out. So the best advice that Tom gave me, goes, Dan, I know what you're doing is in best intentions, but you don't know what you don't know. And you can, you can really screw these guys up if you start to counsel them wrong. He goes, Why don't you go back, use voc rehab again, get another master's degree, get a social work degree and become a clinical practitioner. He goes, That's the fastest track to being able to be, you know, um, insurance reimbursed.
0: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
1: like, Tom, you're crazy, man. I'm 40-something years old. I already have a graduate degree. I got two kids and one on the way, man. That ain't going to happen. He goes, you'll do it. You know, he's he just kind of knew. He's like, you'll do it. So I went back to grad school. I started at Fordham. Um, then because of a whole bunch of scenarios, we made a decision to move from Connecticut to South Carolina just because of the political environment up north was getting pretty toxic. And uh, the, the, the bases and the military establish, establishments down south gave us more access to veterans. So that's why we're down here. Um, where were we? But at, yeah, at that time, we. Um, we
2: yeah, education for them, and then you yes, came, yes. came down. So, yeah. So
1: while I'm up there, I'm in grad school. This whole thing is evolving. We're giving out keys. We're doing 5K runs. We're doing golf tournaments to raise money for it. We're bringing veterans camping, river rafting, NCAA football games, camaraderie-based events meant to bring us together, to gather us. And, And the beauty of being a veteran, it doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your culture or your religion. We could be there on a party bus going to a Yukon football game with a Jew, a Christian, a Muslim, black, white, red, yellow, all telling jokes, all having a good time. And nobody caring what anyone looks like because we're all in there because we understand there's a certain element of the content of the character of everyone in that bus that they put forth their life to sacrifice their time, the best years of their life usually, for the protection and defense of our nation race, religion, all that goes out the window. It's just brotherhood. It's love. Uh, and every sense of it. Kids, 24 years old, all the way up to 70 something, all on a party bus together, going to a college football game or a basketball game or camping or a race car drive or a race car track. So we started doing the stuff and raising the money to do this stuff with our veterans for free. Complete, um, My master's degree in social work, I have to do another 2,000 or had to do another two or 3,000 hours to to, to be eligible to test for the clinical licensure. Did that, now fast forward, it's 2017, I finished grad school, I've gotten my license and now I can provide actual qualified insurance reimbursed clinical mental health services. And the process between My first visit with Tom Quinn, and now is if I didn't have him encourage me to go back to school to do what I'm doing, every bit of the information that I've just shared with you, we don't have this conversation. Wow. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And and it evolved to grow tentacles. And those tentacles came from all of the combat veterans that we had assisted, especially the colonels and the general staff. So we have privates all the way to one-star generals within our organization. And the the breadth of knowledge, wisdom, and experience that gets shared with that kind of um, broad diversity of population has been this ongoing example of divine providence, where one door opens and then a hallway exposes itself and 10 more doors are through there. And all of a sudden, the answers are becoming clear. So now that we've discovered, uncovered, and have demonstrated what the primary causes of the suicide or crisis is, what's the solution, right? Right. So now let's get back to treating the cause (laughs) of suicide, which is multifaceted, but we've tried to simplify it down to one word, purpose, which is bolstered with the access to resources to obtain and sustain that sense of purpose education financial health etc where we where we lose the ability to access resources to obtain a sense of purpose is where the fire and the spark of life fade and when that fire and that spark of life fade and that darkness sets in it's too late to all of a sudden let that veteran come in for emergency mental health care. And that's what the VA is doing. They're putting band-aids on the issue. Oh, he's in crisis. He's a combat veteran that had a bad discharge. He's in crisis now. He's not eligible for VA care because he didn't get an honorable discharge. Right. So that's something we started to work on with multiple yeah. organizations, and then in March of 2017, we get a letter from then President Donald Trump thanking us for our work, letting us know that now Congress is going to make all veterans who are with, who are suffering a mental health crisis eligible for care. Well, the crisis is already here. <laughs> and the success of mental health care is poor at best. Let's stop the crisis before it happens. Mm. Give them a gym membership. Give them a fitness program. Teach them about nutrition, breathing, feeling. Letting them know it's okay to sit in your feelings when you're sad. That you don't have to block it. Allow ourselves to feel our emotions that God gave us. Too many people don't, and we don't learn by 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 sitting in our darkness.
2: No, no, we We don't. Lights on. And then operation vet fit was like the idea. It was like, okay, we have to, I have to do something about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then (laughs) we started getting calls from veterans that were being, um, taken advantage of by the very state institutions that are supposed to protect them. We have an awful, but a beautiful story of a world war II combat veteran who was involuntarily conserved, taken out of his house against his will, all of his stuff in his house sold all of his property we caught wind of it. One of our veterans called us. We got involved. We had to fight the probate court. Then, there, uh, the, then the probate appointed attorneys tried to come after us. We won. Probate court, because we brought the media in and we had TVs and cameras in the hearings, realized they had to take a quick turn to get this man back into his house. So they allowed us to fix it for him. We got him home. They tried to go after us, saying that we were, um, you know, using this old man for political purposes. You know, these are the defenses, these are the defenses that the, inst- I call them in- the the sys—the systemic criminals use. These are the people who are our lawyers, who are supposed to be entrusted with our laws that are subverting the law to enriching themselves at the, the cost of World War II veterans, dignity. That's just mm-hmm. one story, there's so many maybe, maybe There's so much stuff that we see out here. I can't even watch the news anymore because I don't even believe what's on there. I'm watching how these people who are elected and entrusted are turning their back on their oaths of office. They're turning their back on the American people. They're turning their back on the people who need it the most. And I know that's another subject too, but I always want to put that out there because our elected got to do better. It's not about them and the other party. It's about serving the people. If they can just push the politics out of their head and focus on what's real, we can get a lot of work done here.
2: and that's you know, and I'm, I'm glad you you brought it up because i I think obviously, regardless of what side people are on, a lot of people right now are hurting. You know, it, it, we we see the effects of it multiple times when you know you you listen to accounts of people's stories. A big fear of mine, especially someone who I started going to therapy in 2019, and it was right before the pandemic. Uh, it was the few months, the fall before the pandemic, and then I noticed a lot of interesting things happened to my uh, my anxiety, my PTSD uh, flare up during the the, the 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 pandemic. You know, you brought up camaraderie. There was a loss of community. There's this concept of you know self worth, or this concept of what's the economy gonna do? How is it gonna you know, <laughs> make me feel valuable to society. And then you start wondering how to deal with those thoughts and where to go with those thoughts. Luckily, I was able to go to therapy throughout the pandemic as well. But if I didn't have that access to that, to someone to talk to, to help me develop coping mechanisms, uh, like you am also into fitness, a way to process and deal with the muscle tension uh, that, that will come from that, uh, you, a way to breathe, to, to be mindful during those moments where you are you're you have an excessive worrying and persistent worrying i don't know where i'd be today if i'm being honest i mean you we it's just one of those situations where you're you're grateful for the access that you have to all those situations and you wonder if other people can have just education around this
1: yeah yeah you Hmm. want to know one of the biggest challenges that we see on that access question is it's it's hard enough to get a person to be vulnerable enough to ask for help yes everyone says oh just reach out and ask for help there's there's tons out there and then every time they ask for help the door is slammed in their face yeah that's what we have to stop we have to and, and i don't rely on society to create institutions and systems anymore because If we look at the history of charity and goodwill, where it all started and came from, was usually the churches and the communities, not the government. Mm. Government is not to be trusted with mental health. We have a Congress filled with mentally ill people who have unresolved inferiority complex and drug addiction and alcoholism who are dictating to you and me if we can go to a park without a mask on. Think about that. I don't care what party they're from. The number of people that are in the halls of Congress that need mental health help is scary. They're running America and America is supposed to be the world leader. Wrap your head around that.
0: Hmm. It's
2: It's a a lot. lot.
1: It's a lot. And, And what our government's doing is they're sending money to the VA and the VA's like, yeah, this is this is money. And here's what else we found that I hope I'm wrong about and time proves me wrong. The VA is not interested in the solution to the veteran suicide crisis. The VA is interested in the funding the suicide crisis has created. Because if they were interested in the solution, we'd start implementing programs that treat the root cause of the suicide crisis, not the symptom, which is, the behavioral and emotional manifestations that occur 10 20 30 years after our index traumas
2: huh. uh wow okay oh for the by the way the audience if you keep hearing va that's veterans affairs is that am, am i correct in that yes yes, yes. okay, okay. Um, no no just making sure because I, I was like i think i think that's what it is but it's it's um you what you're saying right i i, I i'm very involved in a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion, work, every lived experience has the same version of what you're saying right now, which brings the larger problem. You're talking about society. We don't understand the problems that we're trying to solve because we keep trying to do the symptomic approach as opposed to figuring out what the root cause. And a lot of times I found that a lot of people don't like to admit their own role in creating that cause and in perpetuating the issue. And so as a way to separate themselves from the problem, you, we just make it worse. You know, mm-hmm. hey, I raised this kid this way. Maybe I grew up in the 50s or 60s. And so that's the only way I knew. But, you know, I transferred that to my my kid. It doesn't mean I'm bad, but it does mean that I can learn. Maybe let me take some accountability own apologies and then move on from that. But I, I, the approach I've seen is, ah, no, get over it, move on. And I'm like, OK, we can have both of those types of dialogues here. But if you don't own your role in that and figure out what you can say to say, I'm going to move on to be better. We're just going to, you know, push down another generation of a certain narrative where we don't regard ourselves as part of the problem as we're trying to solve something.
1: Yeah, because, you know, you, you don't have to fix anything if you're not the problem, right?
2: Exactly. And that's <laughs> that's the issue.
1: <laughs> I can just get mad. I can have a temper tantrum and 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 that's it.
2: Yeah, no, you were assigned blame el- yeah, assign blame elsewhere. I was like, ah,
1: that's that. But regardless of what's yeah, go ahead. We gotta own it.
2: Yes, we do. We
1: and I tell our veterans, I'm like, look, man, you're not broken, you're not damaged, goods, right? But you just came back to a society that's exalting victimhood. Everyone's a victim. The the media and society has set up a situation where exalted victimhood is now profitable popular, and politically expedient. If we can get this group of people to not like this group of people, we're going to get these votes. So while the politicians are fomenting division and hate, let them go ahead and do that. In our homes, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, we have to be sharing love, empathy, compassion, and support. And stop giving them in D.C. so much power to control our day-to-day emotions.
2: Yeah. 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 That's well said. So for the future, what do you have in plan and how can people get involved with Operation Vet Fit?
1: Well, we tell our combat veterans all the time, reach out to us, man. We do provide free gym memberships to most of the big box places around the country. So if we got veterans that maybe fell off the wagon on exercise a little bit, we well, I'll tell you this, 100%, 100%, maybe 99.9% of my sessions that I do with veterans, the veterans that are exercising regularly and have some sort of a general healthy pattern of nutrition are doing far greater. Why? Because we understand the mechanisms that exercise has on well-being and emotion regulation. We now know what functions of the brain, the amygdala, the hippocampus, dopamine, serotonin. We know we know what mechanisms are involved in how exercise enhances our emotion how it reduces anxiety how it reduces depression and how exercise if done smart can actually reduce chronic pain yeah chronic pain ptsd and anxiety are the three leading contributors towards suicide on top of the you know outside of the social factors so exercise solves all three wow. and it's and it's free unless you want to use a gym it costs nothing to get up and go for a walk.
2: Yeah. Uh, Operationvetfit.org, rather. Uh, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Operationvetfit.org. Uh, Zero suit size through free mental health services, research, camaraderie-based events, and advocacy. I, I think uh, it's such a great mission. Uh, you know, Dan was introduced to me by a by mutual friend, and w- one of the things... Regardless of political affiliations, where you are, and I think Dan has done a great job of emphasizing this, is we have to get better at taking care of ourselves and the people around us. And that means looking beyond multiple things and really being honest as to why we're feeling. And we have to investigate belief systems we have and to see if it still serves us, right? You know, and then work towards that. How do we cope? How do we. Physically get fit, mentally get fit. You know, do th- build a community of people who agree with the concept of mentally and physically getting fit, and then you find that you're going to find diverse mindsets, regardless, because you're focusing on advancing the your humanity in the process. So,
1: while while treating the root cause of many of our mental health manifestations,
2: one hundred percent. Ah, okay. So I'll make sure I put that in the show. This is such a great, great conversation. I could talk to you all day, but I, I know that we, we both have like time dedication.
1: So I, I, I have one <laughs> thing to give to the listeners. Yes, please, please. Go ahead. Stop in suicide. If you know somebody's having trouble, look them in the eye. Ask them. Everyone's afraid to do this. Ask them, do you plan to kill yourself? I don't know. Will you promise me that you won't? Promise me you won't kill yourself, bro. Look me in the eye and tell me you won't kill yourself because if they care enough to make a promise to somebody that they care enough to make a promise to that that's going to hold them back and maybe buy time at a place where they might have done it, make them promise that they won't kill themselves, have them give you that commitment. And if they can't, then, then get them help, get them getting help. them
2: help. And, and, how
1: do, and how do you get them help? A lot, yes. of veterans, a lot of veterans don't want to touch the VA. And I understand why I'm a veteran myself and I've had really great experiences in the VA and really bad experiences. But what I know I have with the VA is inconsistent experiences, but make them make the promise that they won't kill themselves. Help them find their purpose, their life purpose, their spark, that thing that gets them out of bed in the morning and then help them access the resources. We have a great toolbox on our website with all kinds of resources mainly uh, starting with, you know, who are your elected representatives? You know, part of fixing this is letting your elected know what's going on, not that yeah. they're very reliable, not that they're going to change anything, but sometimes there's a feeling of, of independence and agency that comes with, I just wrote my senator, and I let yeah. him know if this happened, this is what's going on, and I asked him if he can do this. Huh. You know, there's, there, there, there's a sense of, of, of uh, self-control and agency when you, when you do that then frustration when they don't do anything to change it. But at least you start with that feeling of agency. and
2: Yeah. yeah, that, That's awesome. It, my final question is my mission statement reframed as a question. So Dan, yes. how do you use your difference to make a difference?
1: I don't really feel that I'm different,
2: but mm-hmm. the
1: difference that I feel that that I can make has to do with tapping into the energy of the world around us, the individuals, the people that have the ability to help others combine and help others irrespective of politics or religion. I think that's our big challenge right now. Mm -hmm. If we can can pull people together um, separate from politics, I think we'll find that our species will do far greater.
2: There we have it. Dan, using this difference to make a difference by making us see beyond the minute details that divide us. So I, I really, really appreciate you coming on. That's a, This has been an incredible conversation. I know that many people are going to find a lot of solace listening to you and finding out that there are a bunch of resources that they can access. And I, I'm sure everyone knows someone that needs help in, in, in this regard. So thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show.
1: Appreciate what you're doing, man. God bless you.
2: God bless you too. King queens, royalty. Until next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the Ask Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxxon.com.